Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We actually have a good martini today, so that's a nice improvement from yesterday. We're also brought to you by a great sponsor, the Bradley Foundation, sponsor of the Conceived in Liberty Bradley Speaker Series. You can find more at bradleyfdn.org liberty to learn more, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in the podcast. Jim, a little bit of housekeeping here before we get to our martinis, because uh, there's been some developments on things that we talked about earlier in the week. First of all, even before we posted on Monday, which was pretty exciting, the influence we have, uh, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan uh, removed the authority of uh, folks in Montgomery County to tell private and religious schools whether they could be open or not, uh, even if they're following the CDC guidelines on distancing and so forth. Uh, So that's definitely good news. Some parents are still filing a lawsuit there. Uh, We also found out that they're uh, trying to postpone uh, the start of private schools to October 1st was designed to jack up enrollment in public schools as much as humanly possible. Also, we found out that it's actually $100 per person if you walk around in groups of more than three in Arlington County. And uh, yesterday we talked about the Kansas Senate primary on the Republican side. Roger Marshall with a convincing win over Chris Kobach, which I know makes you happy, right? One less thing to worry about as they sing in Hamilton. (laughs) Does this mean Republicans are going to keep the Senate? Not necessarily, but it's one less race that the Republicans could lose with with Marshall as a nominee. Also, Lacey Clay, longtime Democratic congressman from Missouri, bounced by an even more liberal progressive person. That's what we're starting to see in some Democratic primaries. So uh, if the Democrats get control of of much this year, good luck finding any common ground with some of these people. But uh, Jim, let's move on to our good martini. And I guess we need to use quotation marks here. It's, It's good in the sense that Neither uh, presidential candidate is capable of uh, doing an interview, which in general is not a good thing. But yesterday we talked about how President Trump seemed unprepared for his Axios interview. Joe Biden's basically incapable of doing an interview at all. He was being interviewed by a number of reporters in conjunction with the National Association of Black Journalists and Hispanic Journalists Virtual Convention. Um, And this is what he said when Errol Barnett of CBS News asked him about whether he would take a cognitive test. Here's what he said. Please clarify specifically, have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not, what do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie? What do you say to <laughs> President Trump who brags about his test and makes your mental state an issue for voters. Well, if he can't figure out the difference between an elephant and a lion, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Did you watch that? Look, come on, man. I I, I know you're trying to goad me, but I mean, I'm so forward looking to have an opportunity to sit with the president or stand with the president in debates. There can be plenty of time. And by the way, as I joke with him, you know, I, I shouldn't say it. I'm going to say something I don't. I, I probably shouldn't say. Anyway, I am. Uh, I am very willing to let the American public judge my physical, and mental, fil- my physical as well as my mental fil- fitness, and uh, to uh, you know to make a judgment about who I am. So, Jim, if you were uh, wondering if Joe Biden was 
mentally up to the campaign or the job that he's actually trying to get here. I, I'm sure all your uh, concerns are over now that you heard that response. Yes, Greg, he definitely put that issue to bed, um, which probably is where he wishes he was instead of getting up this morning and having this interview go this badly. Um, I'm sure the Biden campaign wanted to capitalize on the fact that Donald Trump had such a lousy interview with Jonathan Swan and really looked like he was out of it and confused by Swan's questions and, and telling him you can't do that when it came to the arguing about the case statistics. Biden did not put it to bed. And I, I think, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily any particular racial animosity when he asks a black journalist, are you a junkie or compares to the idea of him taking a cognitive test to the idea of the journalist taking a drug test. I, I do think, however, though, that Joe Biden walks around utterly convinced that people like him and that he can joke around with them and then he can kind of poke fun at them or uh, or you just kind of generally kind of you know take jabs at them that they're not okay with um that i think you know the uh the cbs news reporter was was pretty you know took it all in stride but i could see other journalists uh, you know take being kind of offended by the suggestion that uh you know that is is absurd to this look we we've all watched joe biden we've seen this guy we can tell he's not the same man that he was in 2012 or in 2008. Is he up to the job? Well, it's going to be somewhat in the eye of the beholder, but I think even the Biden campaign would be hard-pressed to deny he's had some rough outings. And this is in a campaign environment unlike any other where he's managed to, he's been able to stay at home and do almost all of his interaction through Zoom. This is not, uh, this is, these are perfectly legitimate questions. And, you know, laughing them off or getting this defensive about it isn't going to do him much good. So we'll we'll see how things shake out there, but uh, I think if you're you know pulling for the Biden campaign, you're you're feeling off the charts terrific yesterday, and now he's just like you know it's like a sugar crash today as you realize your guy has all of the exact same issues as he uh, uh, interacts with the press, and you know Biden hasn't subjected himself to a Jonathan Swan interview or a Chris Wallace interview like Trump did. Yeah, that's definitely true. And also, if uh, Biden's White House, if he gets elected, his White House Zoom connection, if it's anything like our Zoom connection earlier today, uh, it's going to be pretty hard to, to oversee a government. But, uh, Jim, one of the things I've noticed, this is not even new to Joe Biden. It's whenever he gets criticized, you get the, the intense smile, like he really wants to strangle you, but he knows he can't right in that moment. And then it's also twice in this response, he's like, Come on, man. So any criticism, uh, we don't have to actually address it. It's just, come on, man, which, you know, you think is unique to Biden. But what's left out of the transcripts of the great Lincoln-Douglas debates of the 1850s is how often those guys would get up and just say, come on, man, and, and sit back down again. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Come on, man. Uh, look, if, if he doesn't win the, the presidency in November, he probably could work for the ESPN NFL Sunday show. <laughs> That's all right. Come on, man. <laughs> well, looking to Joe Biden for erudite commentary on himself or anything else is uh, going to be a struggle these days. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now, and some of it's coming at us so fast and so often that it's hard to make sense of it in real time. But making sense of what we're seeing these days, Conceived in Liberty, the Bradley Speaker Series is a new video series that offers meaningful perspectives through engaging 15-minute interviews. Visit BradleyFDN.org liberty to watch the most
most recent episode featuring British author and historian Andrew Roberts, the author of numerous award-winning books, including his most recent book, Churchill, Walking with Destiny. Mr. Roberts is a foremost expert on Winston Churchill. In this episode, he addresses Churchill's approach to governing during a crisis and how he evolved from statist to staunch advocate of the free market system. Roberts also shares his take on the destruction of historical monuments. So it's very much uh, related to what we're seeing in the headlines right now. That's Bradley with an L-E-Y at the end, fdn.org slash liberty to watch that video. New episodes will debut weekly, so come back often and subscribe to the YouTube channel to be notified whenever a new one is posted. Again, Bradley, fdn.org slash liberty. All right, Jim, yesterday we uh, started recording. We had just seen the blast in Beirut, and we didn't know what had happened. They're still trying to figure out exactly what happened. But if there's any good news out of this, it appears to not be nefarious in any way. Instead, it appears to be an example of gross incompetence that got at least 100 people uh, killed, thousands of others injured, and many thousands more essentially homeless now with all the, the damage done by the blast itself and the, the shock waves that stretched for up to 10 kilometers or about six miles away. Uh, according to CNN, it's still not exactly clear what led to the ignition that wiped out entire streets across Beirut, but questions were swirling over whether the authorities had failed to act on warning signs ahead of the blast. Prime Minister Hassan Diab said that 2,750 metric tons of ammonium nitrate, which is typically used as an agricultural fertilizer, had been stored for six years at a warehouse in the port of Beirut without safety measures, endangering the safety of citizens according to a statement. And oh, by the way, uh, the place where this was stored, I think folks have seen the video, it's uh, just on the coast there, within walking distance, just minutes walk from Beirut's shopping and nightlife district. So, Jim, hard to imagine less common sense going into this. Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, when you hear terrible explosion in Beirut, most people's first thoughts come to uh, terrorism or, or some sort of military conflict, Hezbollah or the Israelis or something like that. Um, but then once you watch those videos, you're like, whoa, wait, first of all, this, you know, appeared to be have uh, been triggered by a fire on those dock warehouses beforehand. And just the sheer scale of it made me made people think after initially, OK, this doesn't look like terrorism. Terrorists prefer to leave something standing that they can rule over. Uh, that just the sheer scale of the devastation was so off the charts. Um, I could understand some people who may have initially wondered if this was some sort of suitcase nuke or something like that. It was nothing of the case. What it appears about people are recognizing the term ammonium nitrate and may recall back in the Oklahoma City bombing, that bomb, which blew up the, the Murrah building and did a lot of damage to the surrounding area, had about two tons of ammonium nitrate. As you mentioned, more than 2,700 tons were in this warehouse. And you're probably like, wait, 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 why are they keeping thousands of tons of a dangerous chemical uh, in a warehouse in extreme heat? Well, uh, apparently there was a cargo ship called the Rosas. It was uh, supposed to transport this ammonium nitrate uh, from the Georgian port of Batumi to Mozambique. This is in late 2013. Ship has technical problems, goes to Beirut, fails a safety inspection. And then the question is, okay, what do we do with this ship? The ship is then seized as the owner runs out of money. Now, this is 2014. It turns into this lingering, uh, little-noticed, ongoing controversy between uh, the Georgians, the Russian owner of the ship, the bankruptcy, who kicks over this? Well, 
The somewhat good news is October 2015, the ammonium nitrate gets moved to the warehouses. They recognize that having a whole big amount of ammonium nitrate on the ship is not safe. We got to get it off the ship. And then it puts into the warehouse, and apparently it sits there for the better part of five years as nobody knows what to do with it. I, I hate to say this, but this is a tale of a government failure. Um, these sorts of things are going to happen when you are a major port. You're going to have people bringing stuff in that isn't safe, that you're not supposed to have. Um, and it's Beirut. It's the Middle East. There are going to be people who are going to be interested in that kind of explosives. As far as we know, though, this was not actually designed to explode. This may very well have been actual ammonium nitrate designed for fertilizer. It just ended up going, you know, being stored in a warehouse, massive amounts and extreme heat. It may have been triggered by some other fire with other stuff, the reports of other fire, firecrackers and fireworks and things like that. Um, but, you know, Beirut, you and I talked yesterday about how if you grew up in the 80s, you knew Beirut was like the, the world capital of terrorist bombings. Uh, nothing that happened in that era was as devastating as this. The pictures are jaw dropping. Um, and it's kind of kind of baffling in a very strange way. If it had been terrorism, we'd have somebody to be mad at. We'd have somebody to be to, to blame someone. You know, in this case, it appears ordinary government incompetence left these explosives there where they represented this kind of threat. And you ended up with something that, you know, I believe was in the neighborhood of three point five on the Richter scale. And that is just a, you know, probably one of the most devastating non-nuclear explosions we've ever seen in the history of the world. Just the idea that it was left there with uh, not much of a thought to the fact that it was so close to a major population center. I mean, we have debates over what to do with nuclear waste, but the, the debate is whether we put it in this ridiculously remote part of the country or this ridiculously remote part of the country. This was within minutes walking distance from the shopping district. And so... You know, obviously what people think about policy and, and their principles and their character matter when, when you're choosing leaders. And I know it's a different system over there, but uh, two cents of common sense uh, would help here also. All right, Jim, let's move on to our crazy martini now. And we're seeing some reports today that Biden is down to basically Susan Rice and Kamala Harris for his vice presidential selection. I don't think the campaign has said anything official about that, but sources somewhat close to the Biden campaign, and multiple sources are suggesting that, which means that the very short-lived VP Fuhrer over California Congresswoman Karen Bass could be coming to a close here. It didn't take a whole lot of Googling to figure out that she was going to be a problem for this ticket if, in fact, she is being scratched off the short list. Uh, she had said wonderful things about Fidel Castro as recently as when he died just a few years ago. Uh, she referred to a former Communist Party leader as a mentor. And uh, this comment from the grand opening of a Church of Scientology event uh, a few years back also raised some eyebrows. As both a leader in our state legislature and a representative of Los Angeles, my goal has been a simple one, to actually make a difference. So that's why I first have to say that this day and this new Church of Scientology is an exciting moment because I know your goal and your commitment is truly to make a difference. Jim, I think with that music, we figured out how they brainwash people, but uh, I couldn't even get through the whole video. But she's getting taking a lot of heat for that, you know, treating the Church of Scientology uh, with more respect than a lot of people think that it is due. It is Los Angeles, so some of her constituents are probably adherents to that. But uh, when you look at everything that's been uncovered about Karen Bass in basically a week, you have to wonder how good the vetters are over at the Biden campaign. But uh, what do you make of it all? 
Well, I listened to the full video, Greg, and my first thought is, did you know that all life originated from a giant volcano? <laughs> also, Tom Cruise's movies are all excellent. And I'm starting to think that Leah Ramini is slightly more dangerous than Osama bin Laden. Maybe I shouldn't have watched that whole video. Um, yeah. So, look, by the way, if you happen to be a Scientologist, uh, God bless you or, or L. Ron Hubbard bless you, whichever one you prefer. I don't like to see, like, for example, the German government going after it uh, just because I just don't like the idea of the German government going after religious minorities. They've kind of got a bad history in that area. Um, you know, you're free to believe whatever you want to believe in this country. Obviously, Scientology has attracted its share of very uh, uh, vociferous critics, shall we say, arguing it functions more like a cult than a religion. Um, but fine, you know, okay, you, you, Karen Bass goes, the weird thing is that Karen Bass, her initial explanation was, well, look, it was in my district, of course. And then, of course, it turns out that this event was not in her district, and no one's not quite clear on this. This is on top of all the other issues about her giving eulogies to her mentor, who was a leader of the Communist Party in the United States. Bass's appearance on the, the Biden shortlist has been weird. And I wrote a little bit about this in the morning jolt that like Kamala Harris, whether you love her or hate her. OK, fine. You, know, you, can, you completely understand the logic behind that. Susan Rice. OK, not you know, hasn't run for office before, but she and Biden have a close working relationship. If you're going to go run as the restoration of the Obama presidency, you might as well run as the restoration of the Obama presidency. But Bass just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and there was just kind of, it was fascinating to see how quickly she uh, rocketed to the top. I don't know if this, you know, opposition research drop regarding the Scientology stuff uh, came from the Kamala Harris camp or any one of her rivals. Uh, this is the sort of thing that happens during the vetting process. Uh, people who prefer one immediately start, you know, sharing the worst stories about all the other options, hoping that their person ends up being the, the, the strongest nominee standing. Look, I, you know, is this by itself going to derail a Biden campaign? No, but I think most people, you know, most people associated with Biden, if, if Karen Bass's job is to be the do no harm candidate, the idea that she is uh, getting up there in years herself and is not going to be uh, pursuing the job as a, you know, audition for her own presidency, um, the idea that she would be a loyal, she's you know, well respected by other Democrats on Capitol Hill. That's fine. But, you know, look. Communist Party, pro-Castro, Church of Scientology, you can see how the Trump campaign could make a lot of hay out of this stuff. So um, my suspicion is that the, the you know, Karen Bass boomlet has been very short-lived, but I guess we're just going to have to wait and see, Greg. I was kind of hoping he might pick her because, A, it seems like there's a treasure trove of opposition research here that's not that hard to find out. And secondly, if you look at the relatively recent history of picking sitting House members as running mates, it doesn't work out too well. Uh, you got Paul Ryan. That didn't uh, work out too well, though I don't think he necessarily made a, a big difference in that outcome. Uh, Geraldine Ferraro, of course, was a fantastic addition for Walter Mondale in 1984. Uh, you go back to uh, Miller, was uh, Barry Goldwater's running mate in 1964. Again, probably not the reason that turned out the way it did. But sitting House members, just like running for president, uh, putting them on the ticket usually doesn't do much good. Yeah, and there's an argument that all of the Veep stakes uh, speculation that most of us in politics love to get all excited about doesn't make a very big difference in the campaign. I've heard some people argue that uh, Sarah Palin hurt McCain. I think it's actually the opposite. I think that uh, McCain, when you look at those numbers, he was not on a good course and he did not have the party unified behind him. Uh, Palin gave him whatever you know excitement and enthusiasm he was able to generate that cycle, which was, by most standards, a really, really bad one for the Republican Party. My sneaking suspicion here is that Bass seemed to jump out when the attitude was, you know what? 
all of his other contenders, he's already promised it's going to be a woman. Lots of Democrats expect it to be an African-American woman. Let's do no harm. Let's just look through every possible African-American woman in the Democratic Party, find somebody who's not going to generate problems and pick that one. And I don't know if, you know, the, the, the choices in which you say do no harm also probably do the least good, too. Up until last week, I was like, I couldn't tell you the name recognition numbers on Karen Bass, because as far as I could tell, no pollster had ever asked about her on a nationwide scale. Um, now there's a new one out this morning. It's like neighborhood of 35 percent positive, 15 percent negative, and about half of respondents didn't have an opinion. If you pick an unknown, it's going to be this mad dash to see who can define that person the most. I think stories like this would hurt Karen Bass. And so my suspicion is Biden won't go in this direction. But, Greg, that's the kind of choice that someone who's not experiencing cognitive decline would make. Jim, uh, I think it's next week now we're supposed to get the selection. Do you have a prediction? It seems, based on our previous martinis, that Chris Dodd, who's running the VP search, is not all that enamored with Kamala, which would make me think that if it's down to those two, that that Rice has the edge. Uh, But what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, Axios said the list had come down to those two. I think that, you know, in a strange way, Chris Dodd being part of the search, I think, is kind of revelatory Um, and not necessarily in a good way. But like, as I mentioned, there's not a single Democrat outside of Joe Biden who'd say, hey, what does Chris Dodd think? Who who does he think would be a good pick? Right. (laughs) The only reason Chris Dodd is on that list is because Joe Biden knows him and likes him and trusts him. If that's Joe Biden's criteria, if that's what matters most to him, if he wants somebody he knows and that he likes and that he trusts, well, then, that pro- between those two, I think he knows and likes and trusts Susan Rice a heck of a lot more than he likes Kamala Harris. I think if he picks Harris, Greg, I, look, I'm just I'm off free advice, Joe Biden. Get a food taster. Wow. Well, get ready to talk about the five Sunday shows that uh, Susan Rice was on back in 2012. <laughs> I mean, cause... She's got her own issues, no doubt about that. But uh, <laughs> and it's not like I'd be cheering. But if you ask me who is most likely right now, I'd put my money on Rice, but well. not a lot. He's got to defend the same record. Obviously, they're both there to protect and do what they can to burnish the Obama legacy. So, uh, Jim, we'll see what happens, but uh, we know what's going to happen tomorrow. We'll see you then. Come on, man. (laughs) Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about the Bradley Speaker Series, Conceived in Liberty. You can find that at bradleyfdn.org slash liberty. 15-minute interviews get you caught up on a lot of things that you need to know about history as well as how they impact current events. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. Leave us a kind review with five stars. Get us on those home devices. Just say, play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.